everyone, welcome to the Atari Hacker Podcast. In this week, I'm not going to be joined by Mark, but I'm going to be joined by my good friend, Kevin Espiritu. Kevin has done some previous podcasts with us, but a lot has changed for him. If you don't know him, he's the guy behind EpicGardening.com, and he's a pretty big celebrity in the gardening niche these days, and he has all started with a site that he started with, Atari Hacker Pro, and an authority site. But now his store is making $7.5 million of sales per year, mostly driven by his website and his social media presence, and he's on track to double it in 2022. He's also just received an investment of $17.5 million for a large equity stake in his business from the guys at the Chairman Group. There are the guys that are also invested in companies like Headspace, the meditation company, Ubering for the health tracking, Exploding Kitten, Cameo.com, Twitter, and Pandora. So these are really, really good investors. And it's really cool to see how far Kevin is taking the model, how he has applied his twist to it. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a candid discussion about how he got there, how he used his site to eventually get where he is, and also like what the future of the industry holds and how people should maybe twist the model to go past affiliate and ad revenue. Now we're going to be jumping in the interview, but before we do, I just wanted to let you know as well that Atari Hacker Pro, the training that actually Kevin used to get started with his website, is coming back on sale this Sunday for the first time in a year. Honestly, don't know when it's going to come back again. So if you are not signed up for our email list, go on atarihacker.com slash subscribe and put your email if you want to hear more about it. And we will be giving a lot more details on Sunday. So now without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today I am not with Mark, I'm with the next best person, or maybe arguably better, I would say. And that is going to be Kevin, who is a pretty good friend of mine. I know him for a long time. I know you since the Wicked Fire times, actually. Oh, man. Kevin Espiritu, if you don't know him, like, I mean, we put him on the website because he's a really good example of a success story from our community. But Kevin runs epicgardening.com, which is, we started basically as an authority site following our model and kind of like deviated to more of an e-commerce empire right now. And we're going to get into that eventually. But like, do you want to introduce Epic Gardening for people maybe? So like for people who yeah. don't know about it. You're right. It really started out as a gardening blog back in the day. Actually, it was called Exponics, which was like, uh, yeah, it was like the worst <laughs> brand name ever. So I, I went a little, hopefully a little better with Epic Gardening. But yeah, I mean, it really, it was like a hydroponics blog back in the day that kind of started really as like a hobby. And you know, like I was talking forever about how I wanted to do something with it and do this or do that. And I was always doing something else. And then now, as you mentioned, it's pivoted well past the blog model into social platforms and commerce. And, you know, we have a 22 person team now. So it's gotten a little past. And you the, got uh, like a lot of investment recently as well. I mean, I'll talk about this at some point, but there was uh, some big announcements recently, right? Yeah. End of December, we raised 17 and a half million to go for this whole model, which we'll, we'll get into. Yeah, that's really cool, actually. That's actually, my next question was like, can you give us an idea of how it does? But if you got 17.5 million investment, yeah. probably all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can say last year we did, last year was really, it was myself as mm -hmm. the host of this whole world. And then I had an editor-in-chief. I had one creator who we were just starting to build, like another creator underneath Epic mm -hmm. and an assistant. And that's it. And we did 7.4 million in revenue. Obviously, when you get to a certain level of revenue, investment companies or people's eyes just start to go like this. 
So you start getting inquiries and yeah, that's kind of how it played out. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's like, it's cool because you kind of like put your own spin on it. And that's kind of like what I want to get to. So I want to, I want to first reverse back to like when you started. And as we go, we're going to get to like how you, you took your own spin to this. But can you give us an idea of like when you started? You had this Exponix website, but I remember that you had a job and you didn't really work on it. And then eventually you came back to it. Like what happened then basically? Yeah. I mean, I think way back in the wicked fire days, like you're saying, it's so weird. I know a lot of people from those days have now made it in one way or another. They're doing well in some fashion, but uh, that was just an old school affiliate marketing forum that we all learned how to like work on the internet in 2009 or 10 or something. And so back then, I think I registered Epic Gardening in 2013 and maybe the Exponix thing was like not that far before that. Back then it was just a hobby, like I was saying, and I was doing website design. I was doing like local SEO for like a plumber or a lawyer or something. You were an account manager for us for a few months, actually. Remember? For, yeah, for a few <laughs> for months like, for, for your agency. I realized I wasn't the best at that role, probably. <laughs> I don't know what you guys I mean, thought. It was just, you were like kind of in between projects anyway. It was kind of like a way to get some help on our end and for you to get like figure out the next thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was cool because I got to see kind of how the like a proper SEO agency ran because I wasn't running one that was super sophisticated. And then what did I do after that? I mean, I tried raising money from just like not real investors, just like friends and family, not my friends and family, my co-founders, friends and family to do uh, (laughs) this relationship building startup. It was like an app that was supposed to basically like you could put in your wife, Gail, and, and then say, here's what her favorite music is and her favorite this or that. And it would sort of tell you like cool things to do or cool gifts to buy. But we built a desktop. I honestly, we were trying to use machine learning back then, which would have been 2014, which I think was probably a little early. And we built a mm-hmm. desktop, so it, it wasn't, it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. But learned, failed, worked mm-hmm. at a company called cool Stripe. Project. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was cool. I just like didn't know what I didn't know type of thing on how to build something. And then, um, yeah, after that, I kind of put my hat on the table and I was like, you know what? I need to go learn from someone who actually knows what they're doing. About building a business. So I worked at a company. I was a second employee at Scribe Media. It used to be called Book in a Box. Now it's Scribe. At this point, they've done like, they did David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me. It's a publishing company. So I learned a lot there. And then about a year and a half in, I left and I decided to go full-time on Epic. Yeah. I remember it's like we were starting to get good success with our sites and we were chatting and it's yeah. like you were between jobs and not you were, you still had your job, but you were like kind of considering for the next thing. It's kind and of the way out. That's yeah. when you kind of like decided to go all in on Epic and that's when you rebranded. I think like it was still the hydroponic blog and that's when you rebranded to Epic Gardening, right? Well, so I, that would have been 2016 summer. Okay. So it was already Epic Gardening, but I have okay. a whole chart of like what it was making back then. And it was making like four or 500 bucks a month when I quit. Obviously, I had some savings saved up from my days playing poker or doing some other stuff. So I wasn't going to like go broke or anything, but it wasn't making a lot of money. So I just decided, I remember I probably talked to you a lot at that point in time of what should I do? You know, what's next? And I was obsessed with hitting, you know, I think it was $3,000 a month at the start. I think 4K. I remember 4K. It was, it was at four. Yeah, it was something like that. And you were sitting there. I think this is when you had health ambition going. And that was doing really well for you. I always appreciate it because I was like, look, like they're building things, not just in how to build things space, you know, like you're doing yeah, yeah. it in health and some other spaces. Uh, and I was like, oh, man, like if I could only get to 4K. And I remember you being like, you could like get to more than 4K. 
And I was like, really? Like, I don't know. Like, it seems pretty You just wanted to pay your bills. I remember you were like, oh, if I pay my bills, I'm happy already. Which yeah. I think is a goal for a lot of people, right? It's mm-hmm. like when you start, you're like, well, I just want this to pay for my stuff and then pay for itself. And then after that, yeah. we'll see, you know? So yeah. how long did it take to get there? Like from the 500 bucks a month to the, it pays my bills. I think it took, so I, if I quit June, 2016 in September, 2016, it was making 3k. Now that's not like a typical story. Cause the, obviously it, it'd been around for a while. All I did was I just got really tactical on like, you know, I looked at Amazon affiliates and I was like, well, what's making me the 400. And then from there, I just sort of built silos around those articles and kind of kept doing that. And it got me there. I think by the end of that year, it was doing, I think I touched 5k by the end of the year. In yeah. 2017, it started to really ramp up. Well, it was really, really pure but. Amazon at the time, right? Ads were not so big at the time. It was before Mediavine, Ads Thrive, etc. So ads were really yeah. not the play uh, at the time. So it was pure for it. Yeah, no, you're right. I think I, I had Ezoic on maybe at the time maybe, or, yeah. or just pure AdSense. It could have been just pure AdSense at the time. <laughs> I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I heard AdSense is good these days, actually. I heard it's, it got a lot better. I remember at the time it was terrible, right? You'd make like yeah. five bucks per thousand visitors or something. And now, you know, like some ad networks hit like 60, 70, $80 per thousand visitors or something. So it's I kind, might need it's to get on this. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you, actually, we'll talk about uh, current Epic Gardening after because um, I saw you run ads, actually. Yeah, okay. So you got to these four, five K months towards the end of 2016, mostly by doing affiliate marketing. Where did you take it next? So let me think about the trajectory. So 20, yeah, I mean like 2016, I think Epic made like 17 grand, which was half a year's worth of trying to build mm-hmm. it. And then the next year, 2017, we did, well, I say we, it's just me. I, we did like 78,000 or something like that. So we almost, <laughs> almost quadrupled. Maybe we did. So 2017 was really about like building links, promoting and that is when I had a pure writer, SEO. So I, pure SEO and like not in a weird SEO person way. I just like was emailing <laughs> universities and was like, Hey, like, I think this article is strong, like whatever. And so we were getting tons of links that way. And then eventually it's kind of like the growth levers for every business are different, but in SEO or content sites, it's kind of like you start the site, you write, eventually it's not worth your time to write as much anymore. You need to hire an expert to write. At least that's my opinion. And then as I was building links, I was like, okay, I have this sort of snowball of promotion. I now need to do something different because the promotion, I'm getting less marginal return from each new link that I get. Like at this point, there's no point in Epic building links because yeah, we just a New York Times story just came out on us. I didn't have to try to go get that. That How did you get that happen in the early days? Because like now it happens, but like you're already a pretty big brand. But back then it was a bit more of a challenge, I guess. I mean, back then it was just grinding and emailing people. It wasn't not for like interviews or whatever, just for like, hey, like this article's old. It replaced the link with my article, like all that kind of stuff. The old school techniques that. You emailed really the glad. New York Times and got a link from the New York oh, Times. Oh, no, 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 no. That article came out today. <laughs> today as we as we sit here today. Oh, okay. Um, okay, okay. I see. I, see, I, didn't, I, see. Get, okay. I didn't get any classic, like, big brand promotion on Epic for years and years, you know? Okay. Anyways, so then it was really about just, like, okay, get a writer, get some promotion. Well, then it's get a team of writers and have a writer manage that writer and get some help with the promotion and then I sort of turned to different platforms, which I think is the first like departure from That's I when guess, you, the class. You, the, you forked. Exactly. I forked the model. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So like you basically, was this, was your editorial running at the same time? So you basically had writers writing, 
And you're like, well, I don't need to create content anymore and I'm not doing link building. So what am I going to do? And that's when you turn to social media. Was that what happened? Pretty much. I mean, like I've always tried to build systems and then have them recur. So when I left writing the blog, my editor is a better writer than I'll ever be. I'm just not as strong as she is or she was. And the writers that we hire, we have someone who's an expert in tree care, an actual expert. We have someone who's an expert in all these different things. So I'm like, I'm a generalist of gardening and they're all like obsessed with one part of it. So I'll just let them do it. As long as we're putting out quality content that's really well researched and correct and in an SEO optimized format for humans and Google, then why should I be doing it? I really shouldn't be. But that's kind of the difference, I think, between business building and like having an authority site that pays your bills and you don't have to work the job that you hated, right? Those are two different like mentalities. One is... I don't like being an accountant, so I'm going to be a blogger instead. And the, the other is like, I'm going to build a business around this, this property. So at the time, were you spending pretty much most of your money back into paying your writers? Like, how did that work money-wise? Because you still didn't make that much, I guess. Yeah, you know, I think back then, I've never paid writers per word. I've always paid flat fee per article. And mm-hmm. then what I used to do with my editor is she would manage the writers And so she'd get a per edit fee and a writing fee because she'd also write. And so that kept it pretty lean because then if you're not incentivizing a per word, then the articles don't bloat and and all that. So it wasn't that expensive. But yeah, I mean, I was putting at least half the money back in and then the rest comes out. You don't really have much after taxes, to be honest. Exactly. (laughs) You know, if I was smarter, I would have put as much as this is what I tell like my cousin who has a fishing site now and other people. I'm like. You should just put 100% of the profit back in besides whatever nets out that post-tax that pays your bills. You literally live exactly off that because your compounding will be so much greater if you do it that way. Especially because you don't pay tax on that. This investment is basically tax-free. Just, since just it's a cost. A business yeah. expense, exactly. Yeah. So you get like whatever tax rate you're paying on your income, you get that as extra investment pretty much. Yeah. So it's pretty good. Okay, so you're basically at this point and you automated that. They were writing content. You were cruising on SEO, basically. You were growing. And then, then you start looking at social media. I did have a YouTube channel for a while. Like I started it in 2013, but I never really did much with it. And so in 20, I don't know, 16, 17, I started doing more on Instagram, more on YouTube. What else did we do? I think it was really just that at the time. I was going to ask, did you start on one platform or did you just do everything right away? Oh, because you're on everything right now. Like I can't find a platform where you're not. I know. Yeah. We're on everything now. Actually, I want to rewind. So in 2017, I started the podcast. So I did the Epic Gardening podcast. My cousin and I were doing a different podcast at the time. And then he was like, oh, it's like so hard to start a podcast. So I was like, watch, I'll start one in a weekend. And I tried to think of a podcast I could start that fast. So I was like, well, what if I just did a daily show, but it was just three minutes or five minutes. So it's really easy to record. And, and it, can, it could just be like how to prune a tomato. And I just say that and then I'm out for the episode. <laughs> so I started that in 2017. And that now does like 10 million downloads a year or something like that. So now we have audio, right? And how did I grow the podcast? Well, I put the top 100 articles in my GA. I just put podcast episodes about those and just put them on that. So basically every platform growth hacks the next one. And so then when YouTube comes around, it's kind of the same thing. I made videos, at least in the early days, on the stuff that I knew was getting the most traffic already. So I didn't have to launch a YouTube channel cold into the YouTube void. I just embedded those articles on the blog and they started getting some natural play. 
So you used SEO to grow social media. You had traffic landing on your blog and you just embedded whatever you did. Mm -hmm. So do you embed Instagram as well, for example, or is it just YouTube and the blog? I tried that and I realized that doesn't really work that well. Yeah, people don't really click through, I guess. They just don't really do that. But yeah, like, I mean, video is natural embed and so is podcast. So yeah, I guess I did. I mean, I just wanted, I was just looking for like an avenue. Why start the YouTube channel cold when you can just embed, right? It's just easier. Yeah, I would argue that it might even be easier to start a blog, get some SEO traffic and then grow your YouTube channel that way than just cold trying to grow a YouTube channel with zero subscriber on day one. And you have to publish lots of content before you start getting decent views unless you kind of like rank on YouTube itself, I guess, you know? Yeah, I would say like these days with YouTube, it would be possible to start cold, but you'd have to be really good to start. Like yeah. you have to be a master of retention, thumbnails, titles, attention, like holding throughout the it's entire video. Yeah. It's You're not going to get there at the start. And I certainly wasn't. So yeah, it was, it's, it's easier to do it. So if we go back to the story, you had a YouTube channel. Like how mm-hmm. often were you posting at that time? Like how much effort were you putting in? At that time, I probably put out in t- maybe 20 videos that year, 15 or 20. Not so that like many. one every two weeks. Yeah, which in gardening is that's kind of low. Uh, it's like pretty yeah. pretty bad. So yeah, so you're doing not that a lot. And you Instagram basically. You've been. I think I remember you playing with on other accounts with Instagram bots, etc. A long time ago, but it wasn't on that account. It was on some other stuff. So I know you were interested in the platform, but I, obviously you've grown a real audience and done it properly this since then. How did it go basically? It's so funny because like every platform. It's so different than SEO. Google is making algorithmic changes all the time. We know that. But like the game has been more or less the same as long as it's been around. There's been some major changes that you've, but all those changes have basically forced publishers to just get better. To do it right as well. To to stop cheating, basically. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But on like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, et cetera, it's changing in a way, culturally, like the strategies change in a cultural way. Like on YouTube, for example, right now, we're sort of in this era of extremity. Like the most extreme thing you can do with the most fast-paced cuts and, and edit will do better than than something else, generally speaking. You know, that's why you see all these like Mr. Beast clones out there because it's working so well. So on Instagram back then, Epic Gardening was basically like a community page. Like I'd share what I was gardening, but I'd also share what other people were gardening. And it sort of got some attention that way because if you're sharing people's stuff, they, they appreciate it. And then I finally transitioned to like putting my face on it, sharing in stories when that came out and, and all that. And that was like the biggest social community that we developed at the start. And I think that sparked a lot of stuff. I remember you were quite big on that, on uh, posting stories, etc. I think one thing that has been strong with you is like every time social networks have been putting a new feature, you've been jumping on it early, right? It's like uh, yeah. we actually did a mastermind in like the first year of TikTok or something, like we're in London, and you are yeah. already all over it, right? And now you have like a million subscribers or whatever. Like it's crazy. How many subscribers do you have on TikTok? TikTok will probably be at 2 million soon. You're totally right. Like 2019, August is when I got on TikTok. For gardening specifically. I think I technically had a Musical.ly account before that, but it doesn't really count. Uh-huh. And I deleted the the, the dancing videos, so those are gone. <laughs> but, you know, um, I was very disappointed. I was checking uh, your TikTok account before the the podcast now, and I didn't see any corn kids video. You know, it's I like, did uh, do one corn. I did do a corn kid video. I'll send it to you. But um, <laughs> okay, no, I, I love that guy. But no, anyways. So yeah, I mean the the way I always think about it because I've studied tech and, and startups and Silicon Valley culture and stuff a lot and all the classic like growth hacking and the science of platforms and stuff just because it's interesting to me. And there's the, the mm-hmm. adoption curve, right? So like early adopter, then you have the bell curve and you have late. I'm like, look, what's the downside of spending 50 to 100 hours like trying each platform? Because if they win, 
Like we were the first gardener on TikTok. So obviously all the attention is going to us. I don't even have to be good because if you think of supply of content and demand of content, if there's any demand for gardening and there's one person supplying it, I just monopolized attention on an entire platform at the early yeah. days. So, so how could I not grow? And then eventually we learned how to do TikTok better and better and better. And now my skill at creating content on TikTok bled over to Instagram and YouTube and improved those platforms too. For shorts, yeah. Yeah, and also like the thing is like the amount of effort it would take if you started today to get to 2 million subscribers would be probably 10 times higher than what you have put in to get 2 million subscribers because of that initial snowball. And so like that first move's advantage is massive. And I think that's kind of like a trade that a lot of SEOs are pretty bad at, like people tend to do what we've always done in SEO. <laughs> I think that's what differentiated you. But I want to ask you, we know you have a store, we talked about that so like a little mm -hmm. bit, but when you started going on social platforms, did you monetize at all when you got in there? Like how did you justify spending that much time when you just forked in and then your, your editorial team was just writing content instead of like trying to make a bigger editorial team, for example? I probably should have. I probably should have made a bigger editorial team, to be honest with you, because I think so much about how much faster I could have grown Epic if I knew everything I knew today. And like, mm -hmm. what would that mean then when I raised capital or the value of the company would have been higher at that point in time? There's all sorts of things like that. So I think to your point, like I probably should have scaled the editorial team better. But I guess my whole thought on on this was, even today, you still see SEOs and niche site people, et cetera, saying like, oh, don't out my site and don't do this or don't do that. I'm like, look, like if your SEO is the SEO industry is like weirdly one of the only ones that people are like weird and secretive about everything. And I'm like, look, you go look at the wire cutter, Brian Lamb. He wasn't like, oh, like, don't tell anyone I'm working on this. It's like there's no moat if you're just building a kind of a crappy authority site, in my opinion. I was going to so say I was like. You need a moat. And so I was like, well, what's my moat? Well, my moat is I'm actually back then there was this whole debate of like, should you put your face on your site? I'm like, why would you not? It doesn't make sense. And then let alone where is authority coming from? Well, it's, it's coming from people like people trust people. People say you're an authority. You don't say you're an authority, basically. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, OK, well, if I build in public, so to speak, like all these different platforms. And I talk about gardening and cause I'm never, I've never said I'm an expert. I've been like, Oh, I like it. And I'm learning along with everyone. I was like, well, that's, that's, that's just, that's just an edge. No one else is willing to do and I'll do it. And it, it seemed to pay off. Yeah. I think one of the reasons people are secretive about a lot of their projects is because there's very little added value to the sites being built. If you can basically copy paste the site with spinning the content and probably get similar results, right? Whereas it would be more difficult to do with Epic Gardening. And I think that's kind of the problem. And I think that Google is trying to break that with the recent updates, with the CAT stuff, et cetera. To be honest, it's, it's doing quite okay. Like definitely the way people build sites will have to change eventually, I think. But yeah, I think that's why the industry is so secretive about what they do, basically. I think yeah. that's a, a big issue. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's kind of, well, I have like, I kind of like strong opinions on this more than most SEOs probably, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a tell that like you're not really trying that hard to build a property that you're like proud of or to your point has any competitive edge over anything else in the space. I think we need to build more original stuff. Now, the thing is like the thing is Google has not been rewarding originality for the past few years. Let's be honest, the way you run your content on your blog is also very SEO -y where you're trying to match the search intent, you're doing all that. And that's why like the stuff where you do that match works well. If you were going 
all in with like a new way to grow tomatoes that is quite creative that you've done in your garden and was your own personal experience. I don't think you would rank for how to grow tomatoes. And I think that's a big problem with Google in general is that as a platform, like now you go on these social platforms, you go on TikTok, you go on YouTube, you discover new awesome stuff and you get like amazed by the stuff you learn. Whereas you go on Google is just giving the answer everyone's always given without allowing any space for any new ideas. And hopefully they're working on that. But I think you can blame SEOs, but you can blame Google a little bit for rewarding that a little bit too much as well. That's my opinion. Oh, I agree. It's definitely both. But yeah, I guess like the way I looked at social platforms too, is I was like, well, blogging is the oldest content tech on the internet. Then maybe you could say, I guess YouTube or video came next. And I was like, I will never leave blogging. We're going to get 10, 15 million uniques this this year, probably. And we're probably buying other sites too. So we're going to do that, but it's just the, it's just the oldest way to do it. So the younger yeah, demographics. Yeah, it feels old as well. Yeah. It's, I'm like, just the younger demographics are not going to blog. They're like searching TikTok now, or they're looking on YouTube or whatever. So I'll, I'll be everywhere. And that is authority, right? If you're everywhere. So doing all these socials have got you like on TV, you did some like ad campaigns, you did a lot of stuff. Like you did the Timberland ad campaign, I think I remember. You're like always on these morning shows where they ask you about like gardening tips and stuff. Don't you think that eventually got you links and mentions, et cetera, that eventually got you where you were in terms of SEO traffic and indirectly the great, the tell of Google of do great content and you will rank eventually paid off here. It was just yeah. a really, really long game. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Like, so we did like, I did good morning America three times, which is our biggest show. We did that Timberland thing, etc. Like you're, you're totally right. I think the thing that I always, cause I don't think of myself as like an SEO anymore. Really. Not anymore. No, definitely not. But I guess like boiling that all down to saying I got the links, thus that was worth it to me. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that's like a byproduct. You get links, you get authority. But it was worth it because of the action itself is worth it. It's not necessarily because of it got me links, right? It's just because our mission is like teach the world to grow. So if I go on a morning show, that's furthering that mission because maybe someone out there watches it and decides to like dive into our content and actually learn how to garden. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think it paid off. I just, the pro- my problem is Google takes a way too long time to reward people actually doing it. And it's like, you've been at it for a long time now, but like someone who starts a website today, you know, they won't be, re- and they start doing all that stuff. They probably won't be rewarded for several years until they actually get some pretty big recognition and then Google can raise these signals, you know? So like, yeah, I wish they would read a little bit faster into this stuff, especially being one of the biggest tech companies yeah. in the world. Do you think all site owners should do social media? I guess it just depends on your goals. You know, like I, I talk to other other site owners and they're just trying to flip the site for like a million bucks or whatever it is. And I'm just like, yeah, do whatever you want. It's just you I probably don't have to. It doesn't work. Yeah. Some levels it doesn't work. I think in a lot of passion categories, like obviously gardening, hunting, fishing, knitting, sewing, whatever, those all would benefit right now from someone having like someone who's really passionate about it, like going all in and, and putting their face on it, making content about it on as many platforms as they can. If your goal is to build like a, a brand, because right now we're looking at this world of like legacy brands are getting eaten away by who it's just by people like me or Mr. Beast or whoever, you know, Mr. Beast has a chocolate bar. Now Logan Paul has a drink. The drink is the outselling. Well. Yeah. The burgers like it, Logan Paul's drink is outselling 
Powerade in America wow. in Target, I think, which is Powerade I was drinking as a kid. He's going to yeah, do 100 million crazy. on his drink. I think Ty Lopez is buying a bunch of uh, brands as well. Yeah. Like he's buying a bunch of furniture brands and like making e-commerce from them. It's quite Ty, crazy. He's being, being eaten up. Yeah, he bought Radio Shack and yeah. he bought Pier One Imports, which is like I my mom used to like splurge and go there for like a piece of furniture <laughs> when we were kids. And then I don't know what he's doing with it because it seems like all I see is the Radio Shack Twitter account just trolling people. But I don't know what they're actually doing with the brand, but... <laughs> It seems like when it you're seems that like rich, you know. that's what you do, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You just um, hire someone to troll. <laughs> so you do a lot of these social content. We said that you're on like all these platforms, etc. How do you organize that? How do I do this? Like, I want to do this. What do I do, yeah. Kevin? So, like, if you want to do it for Authority Hacker, right? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, we we use if you're talking like raw tactics, we use Notion to sort of organize our content world. So basically, like on YouTube. Every platform is its, what did I say? I had a tweet I thought was pretty smart once. I was like, content is a language. So like content creation is a language, but the platforms are like dialects of the language. So on, mm-hmm. on, on video, on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, like really Instagram reels are kind of different from TikTok. You can't do the exact same okay. thing on TikTok as you can on Instagram reels. You can, it just, if you were doing a perfectly optimal strategy, they would be different because like the inside jokes, the cutting, the culture on TikTok is just different than Instagram, right? So it kind of depends on how bespoke you want to go on each piece of content because you could do what like, I don't know, you know, that My First Million podcast, those guys, yeah, Sean Purry and Sam Parr, they'll just like cut up their podcasts and put those on TikTok or Reels. So you could definitely do that. I mean, I, I tend to think of YouTube as the long form, like Holy Grail piece. So that's your, that's your wide format, like long form. And if I can, I'll cut something up and I'll put that on, on social, but I typically won't. I will typically just make the content directly on the platform itself, but that's easy because I'm a gardener. I mean, I, I can go into the garden and make content like that. It's different in your guys' space. You guys probably have to have a long form format that's very clippable and then you use that format to clip down into your Instagram, yeah, like the big TikTok, podcasts, like Joe Rogan, et cetera, like, like these guys or like Lou Letters or whatever. Yeah, that's the play for, for you guys. That's what I would probably be doing. And then on YouTube, I would go way more edutainment than pure entertainment. Because like part of why I think Epic works on YouTube, and I always go back and forth on like how good I am or bad I am at YouTube, but like part of why I think it works <laughs> is I don't look like the typical gardener. I don't talk like the typical gardener. I call things stupid, silly names. Like there's an entertainment value to it. That's not just the education. And what seems to be the case online is you have to entertain or like create some emotion first. And then the back end value is the education that they, it's kind of like they take, they take their medicine without knowing it type of thing. I agree. I think that's why, I mean, our podcast gets quite good downloads compared to like most of the competition in Yes And I think that's because of the stupid jokes we have with Mark and things like yeah. that. And like yeah. people like that basically. Well, and, you uh, guys, yeah, I mean, you I guys agree, are like, like the, the leaders of the space. Don't know for the leaders, but like I, in the <laughs> podcast, maybe, but like, yeah, I think that people like that. I always tell people when they ask me like, why are you saying stupid stuff on the podcast? And I'm like, because the people have the choice to watch Netflix instead if they want and it's like i need to provide some entertainment so that they don't feel like they missed out on netflix and so like sometimes it's it's thought about like sometimes i check my notes and i have like really really bad jokes written on my yeah. notes prepared <laughs> you know? like if, I, if i'm like opening the curtain like most people don't know that but that's quite interesting okay enough about me no. unless you have one last tip i do have one thing so so have you heard of the like the parasocial relationship 
idea. So, so basically like, is there a content creator that you like that's not in the SEO space? Like that you just watch on YouTube or something? Linus Tech Tips, I would say. Okay. So he's actually a really good example of this. So when you watch Linus and his team now, so he's really led the way for a lot of creators. If you yeah. think about it, because he's he a creator staff, yeah. who has like 80 to hundred staff. He has product, et cetera, et cetera. And he's done this all himself. So he's like way more impressive than most creators out there. Why does everyone like him though? Because you can get that from MKBHD or someone else. It's because of who he is. So you feel like when you watch him, you actually know him. Like I do, at least. When I watch Linus, I'm like, oh, I know what he's going to say to this. I know how he's going to react to that. I know his vibe, generally speaking. And if I saw him at a coffee shop, in my head at least, I would go up and I'd be like, oh, like I know exactly everything about you as a human being. Now, then he would look at me and he'd be like, who the hell is this guy? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. And that happens to me now when I go yeah, out. I can imagine. Me too, but in Chiang Mai only. In Chiang Mai only, yeah. <laughs> Where all the disciples are. <laughs> exactly. No, but like, dude, I go out and this is what made me realize it. I was like, okay, I was out on Catalina Island with my girlfriend and we were driving this golf cart. And as we're driving this golf cart, this other golf cart was like epic gardening and it was like all these kids you know and then my girlfriend's take trolling me she's taking a photo like a story of me while i'm taking a selfie with this kid and he's telling me all this stuff that he's seen me do and asking me how it was doing and it's like a year ago's content and i'm like yeah these people think they know me as a person and that's just how it is online so that's called a parasocial relationship you develop a connection to someone you've never met and that's why like the edutainment adding the jokes, having the memes and all that stuff is so valuable. Because first of all, that's just like more accurate to who you are. If that's how you actually act, like that's how I act and that's how you act. So it's more authentic. And then that breeds more connection where you'll go to your guy's podcast over the guy who's just like, well, today we're talking about the EAT update and here's what it is. You'll just go to you. Okay, cool. Well, that is a lot of good tips for how to essentially use our podcast to do in social. And I think a podcast is quite easy to start for a lot of people. It's probably less intimidating than doing full developed YouTube videos. It's a lot less editing, etc. So yeah, it could be a good idea in a lot of niches, I guess. The problem with podcasts is they tend to not grow on their own. So, but I think with the social promotion, it could grow quite well. I wanted to talk to you about the e-com part of your business because that's something mm-hmm. that was added like a few years ago. I said like two, three years, three years ago, maybe something like this. No? Yeah, it would have been three years, 2019. Yeah. So why did you get started? Like, how did that go? I think you had some partnership with some brand in Australia or something. Eh? When you're a pure like a blogger, you're making money on Amazon or ads or maybe a sponsored post or something, right? Yeah. So there, there's that. Then you get into like YouTube and Instagram and stuff. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like YouTube is owned by Google. So you get AdSense there. You'll get maybe a brand deal. Maybe there's some affiliate links or something. Did you so make good st- money from affiliate on YouTube? Just to close that chapter? Affiliate on YouTube? Probably not. But I didn't really yeah. track. It's hard to track because it's still yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. So so then I'm like, okay, well, if you really think about those three monetization models, ads are linearly fluctuating on your traffic, which can change outside of your control with an update. Amazon is really just Bezos deciding he doesn't want to pay you anymore, which to be honest happened. I mean, gardening was 8% in 2019 when I started product. And I, part of the reason I started is I was like, I was starting to do really well on affiliate on Amazon affiliates. And I'm like, well, what if Bezos just decides he doesn't want the affiliate program anymore? Then I'll just lose multiple five figures a month, every month. And then what happened? 2020, they cut it by 50%. 
So in a day I went from probably, we were probably going to make 70 grand in a month. And then we made like 35. Not that that's not money. I know that is, but still, I mean, that's a 50% revenue. Hit when you use that money to pay salaries and things like yeah, that, then it's, it's real it's a problem. Yeah, it's yeah. real. So in 2019, I was like, look, all these brands keep wanting to pay me to do stuff. Why don't I just pay myself to sell the product directly to my audience that aligns me better with my audience and not a brand. So then my audience becomes my customer instead of them being the product that a brand wants to advertise to. So I was like, it's better for me and it's better for my audience if I just sell the things directly to them. And so that's what I did. So 2019, I grabbed deal with these, an Australian company named Birdies who makes a raised garden bed that was really popular. It was just showing up everywhere. Like anytime I put it in the, in my content, everyone would be like, what is that? What is that? What is that? And so then the content basically is a demand discovery engine effectively. So I could put anything in the content that I thought was interesting and anything that got an outsized response. Well, I'll just sell that then because I like it and they, they clearly like it, you know, but I started out with just the raised bed. So we, I bought a container of raised beds for like 30 grand, which is a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Yeah, so it was a bit thing. of a gamble on your first one, I guess. Like, how did you feel about this when you got, when you got in? Dude, I was pretty clown. Like I was pretty juvenile. <laughs> like I didn't know anything about e-com, right? So I talked to them. I was like, I emailed them every quarter from 2018 to 2019 saying like, hey, can I sell these? And they finally said yes, because I guess their other distributor stopped or something. So I ordered a 20 foot container with maybe 600 beds worth of product in it. And it was $30,000 and I actually didn't know how to ship it. I didn't know. So I set a <laughs> Shopify store up on a subdomain and I didn't know how to ship or how to clear it through customs and all that. And so they, they yeah, helped me so with, with some I of that. I studied that and it's a lot of work actually. Yeah, it, it's just, yeah, it's just confusing. There's just so many different terms and stuff. And now you're dealing with the real world. You're not just dealing with content, right? So what I did is I, I set the Shopify store up on the subdomain and then I just said, hey, look, I'm bringing these to America. You guys can order them. They'll be here in a couple months. I only have 600 for this first batch. So first come, first serve. Sold those out. Why did you say that? Just on Instagram? Like I said that on everywhere, I think. Okay, on everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere that I had a platform. You know, I I probably made a podcast episode about it or something. I see. Oh yeah, okay. One of the short ones. Or like a podcast bumper reel or something. But anyways, that sold in like two weeks. And so then you have the cash from the sale it's still floating in the Pacific over to me. <laughs> and so then I bought another one with that cash and sold that out. And then I was like, okay, well, this is probably going to be a big deal. Cause now, in, and you still didn't figure no, out the shipping at that point, right? No, I had not figured the shipping out. So I was organizing that on the way. Basically I, I thought I was going to rent a storage space and unload this container by hand into a, like a personal storage space that you can rent, you know, and then mm-hmm. ship it out from there. And looking back, I'm like, what a stupid idea that was. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> so I ended up working with a third-party logistics company that they'll warehouse it for you and they'll ship it. Because these were already in their boxes. You just have to put a label on it and ship it. So it's really easy. It's not like you're packing anything. So yeah, I mean, that as soon as the second container sold out before it even got to America, I was like, okay, this is obviously the future of this business because there's crazy demand and it's way more robust of a strategy than just writing articles, you know? Okay. So you started that, you got your two containers, then what happened? Like you sold these two containers, then then how did you make this into the business it is today? How did that transition? So, well, I mean, you, you can't deny that COVID and the pandemic had a huge impact on gardening. I mean, Ooh, yeah, we were doing, I mean, I think in 2019, I did well over half a million in revenue just as a solo operator, which is great. I mean, that's you're making it at that point. You're making more than lawyers, doctors, whatever, as like a random gardener. So I was like, okay, cool. 
But my goal for 2020, I was like, okay, well, I want to hit a million in a year because that's a great goal. It's like sort of a good 2x growth goal, especially when you're a young company. So I set the goal for 1.2 million so I could like run through the finish line on that goal and like guarantee I got there. And then COVID happened. And when that happened, gardening just exploded. So the content platforms exploded. And here's the beauty. Everyone kind is of be- social as well. That's the thing. So like the beauty is I by 2020, I already had, I think like the 12th most popular gardening blog on the internet. And I already had uh, 200 something thousand subscribers on YouTube. I already had 200,000 or something on Instagram. I already had a podcast every single day. So if you wanted to get into gardening during that boom, literally you could not not find us. We were everywhere. And so basically it's this content web that every strand strengthened the other strand. And so I was waking up in March of that year and we would be getting 15,000 subs a day. The traffic (laughs) on the blog was like 200 concurrent every day. You know what I mean? And so I was like, okay, now let's go. And so I decided to do three videos a week for that whole year, which blew us up to almost past a million just that year. I think. I mean, maybe like eight hundred thousand subscribers. Subscribers, yeah. Okay. And so, product-wise, too, I could not even get the product, and anything I sold immediately sold out. And I was literally buying as much as I could humanly afford and selling it the second I put the order in and I knew that the production was locked and in a container somewhere. So I physically knew it existed. I would put it up on the store and I'd say pre-order it's ready in 90 days to 120 days. That's crazy. And people would just sell it out. Like we had days where, again, this is just me with my editor team and a video editor at this point. And there's no one else really. We had days where we would launch the product almost like a drop model. Like when you drop some hyped product, this is just, scarcity basically but true scarcity because we didn't have yeah, it because yeah, you actually run out <laughs> yeah i have i have a screen recording back in the day of dropping a new container of product onto the store and it, in four to five minutes it made 50 grand but it's of course that's a liability if you, if you really think about it, it's a liability because it's cash that i've collected that i have to then deliver on and people who just like would be repeat customers don't get their first experience etc like it's a mm-hmm. big missed opportunity as well to not have cash i remember that like you were scrapping for stocks at the time and you were it was stressing you a lot actually oh it was super stressful because you try to be as upfront as possible but like when the product's coming and even your best estimates are late especially during yeah. that time like shipping was broken everywhere still kind of is and so I'd be like, look, I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can, guys. Order if you are comfortable getting it at a point in the future, is what I started saying. Because I didn't even know when stuff was coming in. But I couldn't not sell it because if I don't sell it during the, the hottest time that gardening's seen in decade, Ever, yeah. <laughs> you miss your opportunity. It was crazy. I mean, I, I still think Epic would be quite successful without the pandemic because we were beforehand. That obviously boosted a lot of people. You were at the right time at the right place with the right setup, basically. Like you had been building up for years and it's like, I mean, it's awesome. Like, it's really cool to see that. And yeah. It's like, you can't predict these things, but they, they do happen. And I think you're a good, uh, a good story of that. And uh, yeah. how do you run your sell? Like, did your sell go down since the pandemic now? Like, uh, did you like bump a lot and then level off or you're just... Uh... I, you know, I was scared that that would be the case because like 2020 and 2021 was basically two pandemic years, call it. So bo- yep. the interest was high on both those years. And I started getting worried, especially because we raised investment in 2021 at the very end of the year. And I was like, well, let's hope I'm right about next year being a good gardening year. And yeah, this year we're up 100% year over year. 
Okay, in sales. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's going well. And how do you drive sales these days? Like, do you have like more of a system, or is it just you just dropping mentions on social media? Yeah. So do you have your retargeting up finally? I do actually. Yeah, checked, you've been actually. telling me about that for a long <laughs> time. Yeah, we hired because I don't have any competency in paid ads, right? And I don't really, personally at least, don't want to build it. So uh-huh. we hired an agency that helps us out with that. But yeah, it's crazy. I mean, even think about it from from this. Let's imagine like you guys had, I don't know, Take Health Ambition back in the day and you had all the platforms. Think about how easy the retargeting would be when your pixel is oh, already yeah. organically hitting millions, right? I mean, that's also how we run our other product businesses. You know, we do that. A lot of sales on the Toy Hacker work exactly that way. Like people discover yeah. us organically. They land on the site. We don't have to pay to build the audiences. And then it's just like you run retargeting on that. It's like a model very few people talk about because most people run either ads or SEO, but rarely mix both. But there's so much because the cost of paid ads is very often building the audience, right? So running some video ad to like have some engagement and then just retargeting people who engage or something like this. And when you get it for free, it's like the profit is insane, actually. It's crazy. I mean, our agency was like, we haven't seen return on ad spend of this number. We were in double digit return on ad spend Mm -hmm. on basic stuff. And you're totally right, man. Like think about a classic direct to consumer company. Like, do you know Quip? It's that toothbrush company. They were popular for a while or maybe like Manscaped or something. Yeah. They were in really good ads actually. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, so think about Manscaped, like they came from product first and they scale via the classic direct to consumer model of is your customer acquisition lower than your Mm long-term value? And then it's paid ad model. But where's their retention coming from? It's really not coming from anywhere besides pure commerce stuff, like your customer service or something like that. Now, we can do that at Epic, we and we do run paid ads, but where's our retention coming from? It's because they love the brand. They love exactly. what we, they, they they love what we put Exactly. They see you on Instagram, they see you on TikTok, they see all the yeah. time. Yeah, so I could sell the same stuff as someone else and still do well. Now, I don't because I want to sell better products, so I don't put slap like some random thing up there. So... This this blended model, it beats a traditional direct-to-consumer model. Yeah. But on the content side, if you're looking at like a content site like The Spruce or something, which is probably half the people listening's arch nemesis of a website because they have every <laughs> yes. they, they rank everywhere. <laughs> the spruce does not, to my knowledge at least, offer product. It's and a I'm huge like huge opportunity. It's a huge miss. It's just because they don't have competency and they don't want to do it. So I'm like, both of these models together is unbeatable. And then when you layer on the creator sort of economy type of stuff, where like the Mr. Beasts or the who's the, the strong who, the personality, who, like the, the hero of the story, basically. These are the people that are, these are the business models that are going to eat the internet, I think. Yeah. Like Emma Chamberlain, Chamberlain Coffee. Now imagine if she had that, but also had a whole universe of content. Maybe what if she acquired a second biggest coffee website out there? And then expanded yeah. the business that way. That would obviously be the right move. So, anyways, I could go on forever. Yeah, exactly, kind of because these social <laughs> platforms, like I mean, eighty percent of your spend ends up being building the audience. But if you build it for free with your organic, and not only that, but like people, people who follow you organically are going to be so much more engaged and so have a such higher conversion rate than people who just randomly got advertised like a, a very bland piece of content to. And so, I'm sure, like you've seen, like you switched from being an affiliate to selling your own products. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've seen a jump in conversions that was quite significant when you sold your own stuff and it was yours. I wanted to ask about that, actually. No, I actually have a really good example of that, dude. So there's a vertical garden planter called a mm-hmm. Greenstock Garden that I really like. It's really well made. It's, it's quality, especially when I was in a smaller space growing. It's just like a stand-up thing with a bunch of little pockets and you can grow in it. And so I was an affiliate for that 
for a while, even while I was selling product, I would do a blended model where I sold my, my raised beds, but everything else was affiliate. And I think there was a, I probably made 30 to 40 grand just being their affiliate. But now we sell them on our store and they're like, well, if you, if you're on our store, you you can't be both. You have to be one or the other. So I was like, okay, well, we'll buy from you wholesale and we'll sell on the store. And if I look, I mean, to date, we've done well over six figures in that product just on our store. Yeah, it would be hard to make six figures as an affiliate. Like to make six figures of sales as an affiliate would be very difficult, even with your reach, I think. Yeah, so now we think of these models where like the content and the products play together so well. So like I just got some chickens, I got into chicken keeping. And Mm -hmm. what we want to do now is we want to offer chicken keeping stuff on the store. So we have a couple products that I tested and I really liked. And so did the other creators. And we can get into that if you want to, because now it's not just me. It's like other creators. Yeah, so you have another person has like he has his own YouTube channel, right? That's how it's Yeah, Jacques. Yeah, Jacques was my like I hired him for 20 bucks an hour to work in the garden to help me out. And then he quit his PhD. He was doing a PhD in geology and he quit to work at Epic Gardening. I paid him more than 20 bucks when he quit. But <laughs> And then now I was like, Jacques, I think it'd be great if you made your own platforms because people like your approach a little different than my approach. And so yeah. now basically what we're thinking about is how can you make multiple sub-brands that are about a thing that I can't focus all my time on? So I, I can't only talk about chickens, but a chicken person could only talk about chickens. And if You're we like build pro in free of gardening, you know? Yeah. If we build like the IP around whatever you want to call that property, like instead of Epic Gardening, it'd be like, I don't know, like Chicken Life or whatever you want to call it. That might have its own YouTube channel, podcast, and Instagram that's yep. way easier to sell the chicken content and sell the chicken products over there. So that we're thinking about it from both sides, like more product, but also more content. I think if you expand too wide, then you're going to lose conversion rate as well. Yeah, you can't. It's going to be hard to like, like people who grow plants, they don't, they're not necessarily interested in chickens. Like it's just two different types of people. And they I might think be. Keeping yeah. it in the, li- in the lane, I mean, even Google in their last update, they're like, please stay in your lane. Literally, that's, that's the patch notes basically. And so I think it's a good idea. And that's why, for example, dot dash, right? The spruce guys, they actually used to run about dot com, which was a site about everything. Thing, and now they're breaking them up. I, remember, I think it was very well.com only, and now they have very well feed, very well mined, very, and they just keep breaking up into more and more niche. And I really think if they add commerce to this eventually, they're going to make a lot, a lot of money, actually. They'll, they'll dominate if they do. Their thing they don't have, at least to my knowledge, is they haven't got content competency on, on platforms besides just raw yeah. publishing. So there's my thesis is they're running a dying model of basically web publishing monetized by ads, like bespoke ads ad network or whatever, big buys, because they can say like, hey, we have 47 million units. I think to it's deliver. changing. So I was actually watching the, I was reading the transcript of their earning call. And for example, for their product reviews, they said they had more than 40 test kitchens to test kitchen equipment and make mm. real photos and everything. So it's the jump from these to making videos, for example, is not that far anymore. Like that once far. you have that yeah. real life setup, you have the people doing it, etc. Like, like that's the hard part. It's kind of like jumping from just staring at a screen and writing an article to doing things in real life and then relate to it in content. And I think that's like the jump a yeah. lot of SEOs are reluctant to do. Um, but they've, they're already doing that jump. And I think the next one after that will be video and then uh, all these social platforms. And they could do Dude. quite well, I think. I think you're right. I mean, the model I look to is like, if you look at um, Bon Appetit, which was, it's a cooking magazine. They went to YouTube and they basically had the Bon Appetit test kitchen, which is exactly what you're talking about with Dot Dash. So they said, okay, 
we're already testing these recipes. Let's just film us testing yeah, the exactly. recipes. And then they had 12 talents basically. And of those 12 talents, like six of them are super famous now because their personalities are great and they make good videos. But what people don't understand in my opinion is if you're the brand owner, it's very rare that you're also the talent typically, especially if you're old media. So if you're Bon Appetit, it's not like the CEO is like, I'm going to make some French toast today. You have yeah. to have the talent underneath. Now, if you come up as a creator, like, like I did or like beast or any of these other people, then you are weirdly both. But to expand, like it's not about Bon Appetit makes a YouTube channel. It's like, you love these 12 people and you associate them with Bon Appetit. Yeah, so you have a, to treat a them really well. There's a connection. Like I said, yeah. the, the problem with like paying talent is they get off. If you check a, like BuzzFeed is a good example, for example. BuzzFeed's yeah. been doing Why, well, why I videos. left BuzzFeed videos. Exactly. Yeah. They've had like these try guys and all that stuff that did really well. And eventually they just leave and do their own stuff because they can't possibly pay them as much as they would make on their own. So the, the problem with building up talents from these big companies is it's, it's going to either cost them a fuck ton of money yeah. Or, or they, or they, they will just have to renew them all the time. Like, for example, Vice. Look at a channel like Vice. Like, they have this, this one guy that makes these one-star reviews that's really funny. And then that's it. Everyone else left, literally. Yeah. This guy, like, the, the comments is like, oh, he's carrying the channel on his back, etc. That's literally it. Uh, yeah. If that guy leaves, Vice is over when it's been dominating for a long, 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 long time because all their best people now went independent. And that's kind of a problem for this. But that's great for us. Because if you run as like an individual creator and like you're also the personality, like the only thing you can do is just stop doing it. But like you can't quit on yourself, basically. You can't quit on yourself. What we try to do is you're totally right. Like if you look at Barstool Sports, my investor actually invested in Barstool back in the day. Like they were, I think, one of the first investors in and it obviously did really well for them. So like Barstool does that better than probably anyone because they'll they did the Call Her Daddy podcast with those two girls. And then that podcast got really, really big. And there was all that drama. I don't know if you know about it, but basically they tried to, yeah. So like this podcast, it was like one of the biggest podcasts in the world at the time. And it happened fast. It was like six to 12 months and it became extremely popular. And so they looked at their deal to your point and they were like, we're kind of getting screwed. Like, I don't like this deal anymore. We're way more popular than when we were. And so Dave, who's the founder of Barstool, he was like, okay, like let's negotiate it. One of the girls was kind of down for it and one was not. And so they kicked the other girl off. And then um, Alex, who's the one who stayed, she stayed with Barstool for a little bit, but then Spotify came and bought the show for 60 million. And so I was asking some folks, I was like, wasn't that bad for Barstool because they lost the show? And someone else was like, no, because it proves that if you go to Barstool as a creator, there's opportunity for Mm -hmm. you, even if it's not a Barstool. So it kind of creates this like pipeline of people who are interested. If you want a solo carrier eventually, then these are like good places to start, I guess. How do you deal with all of that though? Being the main creator, being the face of the brand, still running a lot of the things behind the scenes, except like do you, how much do you walk and are you happy? <laughs> you know, what's interesting is like I was talking with, now that I've been, I've been trying to invest in like stuff for my own self. Like I have a trainer now. You got a trainer at one point, nice. right? Yeah. Uh, so I have yeah, a trainer. So I'm like, I'm trying to get ripped. I'm, you can see the triceps are coming in. So I can see. Yeah, I was. I couldn't listen to what like, you were talking about. <laughs> I got that. I got. I started going to like a therapist and stuff just to have someone to talk about certain things. It's been interesting because you're right. Like I still am doing a huge chunk of every part of this, and if I stop making videos, the whole thing still crumbled. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure on it. 
it is fun, but it, there's also a lot of pressure on like doing it correctly. Cause now you have investors behind you and you want to make sure you're doing a good job. And it's not just you anymore. There's t- literally 22 human beings that depend on Epic to make their money. So yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're looking to hire some like operator talent. That's just 10 years better than me at running this complex of a business. Cause I mean, dude, now we have five warehouse locations. We have one in the UK one in San Diego, one in Tennessee. It's like, yep. it, there's just so much to deal with. How much do you walk? Most of the time. <laughs> okay. Anytime yeah, I mean, you like. On the weekends, I try not to. It's interesting because <laughs> like gardening so seasonal that I get burnt out on gardening in September, which is right now. And so my content slows down and we're trying to come up with ways to like make evergreen content in the winter months where no one cares about gardening. But yeah, I, I try to have like scheduled breaks my girlfriend, I, she thought I was trolling her. I, I was, I was like, what is stress? Like, how do you define stress? And if you're stressed and she's like, what do you mean? Like everyone knows what stress is. And I'm like, but I don't know how to define it. I don't know if I'm, how to know if I'm feeling it. And, and she's like, okay, like you're trolling me. And I'm like, no, I literally don't. And then I, yeah, as I went, I went through th- I therapy, you know? Yeah. I just don't know how to detect it. So I, when I talked to my therapist, I was like, well, Hey, can you help me define stress and what it actually is and how to feel it? Because I literally did not understand. And so I think like the running and gunning of building Epic, especially through the pandemic, burnt me out in a way I wasn't able to detect. Yeah, I agree. I think same for us. Like we did quite well during the pandemic. So across multiple projects. And so that we just had nothing else to do. Just walk, walk, walk. And, you know, you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But like eventually, like you kind of need to deal with yourself, especially when you can get out again, because it actually accumulates and, and you, it's, it's creeping on you and you don't necessarily notice when it happens. And especially with like, I mean, running SEO these days is definitely stressful with Google releasing an update every uh, every 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, we might cut your traffic in half in the next 10 days. We'll let you know by the end of, uh, of the rollout and that might or might not happen. And it's, it's pretty stressful to be honest. So yeah. it's like, um, I think, uh, it's a good discussion to have. And I think a, a lot of SEO people must have felt that. So one thing I wanted to ask you is like, well, you started Epic Gardening a while ago, right? So like you've given a lot of like tips on how you did it, et cetera. It's interesting. But for example, YouTube today is a completely different beast from YouTube when you started. So. What advice would you give to someone who wants to achieve what you've achieved, but start today? So if you wanted to start today, I would actually not start with a blog. I don't think it makes as much sense. So there's, there's two ways to answer the question. One would be if you have a natural talent for a specific type of media, then probably just start there. So like if you're somehow a really good speaker, orator, maybe a podcast makes sense. But if you think about it from a platform perspective, you probably should start on short form video today. I mean, I can't tell you, man, how many people I've met who've built a business way faster than I did by What's going from short. So I met a, I met a, this kid, Dylan LeMay. He's a young guy, super smart. He got big on TikTok because he worked at Cold Stone and he was doing ice cream and mixing the ice cream. Mm-hmm. And so he would do these short form videos. They would loop so you wouldn't be able to tell that it replayed itself because it was so smooth. Oh, yeah, he yeah, moved yeah. from... TikTok to Instagram, Instagram to YouTube shorts, YouTube shorts to long form YouTube content. And now he has an ice cream store in New York. He actually doesn't even really need the the blog to run this business. He doesn't need a blog about ice cream. You know what I mean? So he could, maybe at some point in time, he wants some more traffic to his properties or his products and he could buy a ice cream hobby site or something. 
but you don't even need it. Like you don't even have to have the blog if you don't want to. I think it depends on the personality of people. Like some people really, really sure. are like allergic to videos, you know, <laughs> like I'm just, I agree yeah. with you. Like if I was starting something new, I would like for some businesses, I'd be like, yep, that makes sense. But I also know some people in this community who like, you know, they, they get buttons, like they get spots on their face when you tell them that they need to yeah. do videos. Think about the community, <laughs> right? Like the people who are into SEO tend to at least not be the ones who we tend to be introverted and analytical and want to sit and yeah. grind on something behind a computer. Like yep. there's a huge overlap between us and gamers or us and like poker players or something. So it to- you're, you're totally right. Like a lot of people, if you never want to be on video, then just write it off and just don't do it or hire talent to do it for you maybe. Yeah, I agree. I think what I like, it's like, is the idea of like hitting, like doing this real life stuff. So like, you know, these test kitchens or whatever, like doing the real life stuff, building that real authority. Anyway, Google really wants to figure that out. Eventually they will, like they might be yeah. fucking up in the next, uh, in the next few updates, but they do want to figure that out. Uh, and if they want it, they're Google, they have lots of money to do that. Figure that stuff out. And then as you do that, just do multiple mediums. I would say I like the idea of like, if you have to take real photos for your blog, it's not hard. You don't necessarily have to take videos where you, you put your face on it. Like people who do TikTok videos, they can, they take videos and then they put this robot voice that talks over it or something like that. Like, uh, how much? Like, you know what I mean? This girl's voice yeah, that yeah, talks, yeah. et cetera. Like, yeah. like you can, and I think like hitting multiple platforms at once, but finding the synergies works really well. And I think. The thing you did on Epic where you use your organic traffic, even if it's not that much, but the the quality of organic traffic is, is regular and like social, you know, it's like when you rank, you get kind of the same traffic every day to grow the other platforms. So like, like you did with your podcast, like you did with YouTube, et cetera. I think there's lots of opportunities in that and eventually transforming yeah. that into a mix of like content plus having your own products is really powerful, I would say. I agree. I mean, you're totally right, man. Like there's a million ways to, in the end, it's something, there's awareness and then there's conversion, right? Like they have yeah. to find out about you somehow and they have to purchase from you somehow. And the, the equation of how you set that up could be a million different ways. I agree. Yeah. And I think that it's this convincing people is important too, because too many people in this industry play for the robots and don't really think about the people who read their sites. Like they yeah. care about bounce rate because they're afraid it might drop their rankings. <laughs> well, yeah. Not because like- <laughs> people don't like the content. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, that mentality needs to go. Like eventually now mm-hmm. people like, and, and, and Google seems determined to figure that out. And it could take two years or something. It's good. It could take a while. But the thing is like, I don't want to rebuild like another site in two years. So it's like figuring it out now. And then, so like the stuff you're building today is compatible with the vision Google has essentially. I think that is quite important. And, and that industry is, is quite blindsided in that aspect, I would say. Okay. Thank you for joining the podcast. Do you have any final words of wisdom? I always mark, ask Mark that question. So what does Mark say? Mark usually has no inspiration and just says <laughs> no. And that's it. <laughs> I guess I would say this, like, I don't have anything great. I guess I would say like, if I could do it, anyone could do it. You saw me back in the day. I mean, I was kind of just a clown and I figured it out eventually and educated myself. And now look, look where we are. Now, every case is different. I'm not saying anyone's going to go to certain levels, but there's never been a better opportunity still, weirdly, to yeah, make it's still possible. Your, it's still so possible and it's the easiest access of anything, any opportunity out there. It's like, you're just creating stuff on the internet at its most simple. It just takes time. It takes time and just it takes, takes time to get good at it. It takes to practice to and get even, good at it. Even if you don't do that well, you'll still have a skill set that other companies will pay you for. You know what I mean? I agree. <laughs> like, yeah. It's great insurance too. So 
anyways, that's yeah, all I got. Yeah, because people have been all doom and gloom again with a lot of the Google changes, etc. It's like, and there's been like pretty dramatic stories. But eventually, like, there's so many people doing well that are, like, just random people. I mean, we see it all over H Pro, right? Like, uh, Michael Gillespie and, like, a, a bunch of these other people, they're doing really, really, really well. And they're just people walking from their home office, like, uh, I guess you are right now, and making it happen. So where can people find you online? Because I'm sure some people want to hear more about you. I mean, obviously, I think gardening, but I think you tweet about yeah, yeah. entrepreneurship as well, right? Yeah, just I think just Twitter, really. Just my name, Kevin Espiritu. That's the only like platform I have. I have a website, but it's under construction right now. So just Twitter. Yeah, so if you want like more like to talk more about business with Kevin, follow him on Twitter. If you want to check mm-hmm. out gardening, though, you can go on Epic Gardening. Okay, yeah. Kevin, thanks for everything. Thanks for the podcast. Super cool to catch up and uh, get everyone to know where you're at. Yeah. See you. Yeah, thanks, man. Take care. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the interview we had with Kevin. We tried to be as open and honest as possible and really try to share tips that maybe can steer you in a bit of a different direction than most of the niche site industry is trying to take you into because I really think a lot of people have the opportunity to build much bigger businesses than they are when they're building authority sites. And if you actually want to follow in the footsteps of Kevin, Kevin started with Atari Hacker Pro that we are relaunching this Sunday. So if you want to learn more about our most advanced training to get started and eventually get to a point where Kevin is, then watch out for our email on Sunday because this training is coming back. It's the first time we open it in a year. So it's been a long time, but there's been lots of updates to the program that we're going to be detailing to you on Sunday. So go on AtariHacker.com, sign up to our email list. And if you're on our email list, watch out for our email on Sunday. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again in two weeks.